Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. And while you're turning, uh, those of you that are on our email prayer list, uh, it was very active this week because of all of the things going on in terms of uh, losses within the church and things we were praying for. But one of the things that we mentioned was that following both of our services today, we would have an offering at the doors as you leave for Haiti relief. And uh, that will take place. And uh, I just want to let you know, and especially if you're visiting with us, uh, it's important for us that uh, people understand that 100% of anything that is taken up uh, will go directly to earthquake relief. There is no overhead for the church or, or anyone. Um, we have people on the ground in Haiti. We will have more this week, and uh, we will know more about some of the practical things we can do in the future. But at this point, there is a need for uh, finances, uh, for the supplies that they are giving to the orphans and to others. So uh, you may participate if you feel led in that as you leave the service today. In James 1, we read, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, you've brought us to this moment through a very full week for our congregation in terms of uh, some very high emotions, uh, some very difficult things that our members are facing, some losses. And so, Lord, we pray that you would put all of that into context today. There is little comfort in human words. There is great comfort in the word of God. And so, give us ears to hear, hearts open to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, we're going to be uh, talking about God's roles in trials in our personal life. Verse 2. That was my plan in terms of uh, planning my series on James. That was until Tuesday, January 12th at 4.53 in the afternoon when... A 7.0 earthquake hit Haiti. Now, Haiti is one of the three focus areas of our church in terms of areas that God has called us to 
specifically focus upon. We built an orphanage there. We have had a, a number of trips there. We know people there by name. And so, it hit home with us. Long before he called us to build the orphanage, however, this was a part of his plan. But it brings up some big questions. And questions that in all likelihood you will see in newspaper articles and in editorials and in discussions around the water cooler and maybe at school. In that country that has seemingly seen one disaster after another, two summers ago they had four straight hurricanes come through. And so there's all kinds of speculation. Why those poor people there? Some are coming up with answers. Surely it's God's judgment upon them. Some will say, no, 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 that's, that's Satan's doing. Satan is at work. Others will say, well, where does God fit into this? If it is God, how can he be a good God? If it's not God, did the earthquake happen because he couldn't or wouldn't stop them? So today, before we move to next week and deal with the, the statement, so count it all joy when you encounter trials of many kinds, we are going to put an insert between verse 1 and 2 that I hope will prepare us for the rest of the book of James, but also for what we approach next week in talking about personal trials that we have to endure. In, in classical philosophical uh, discussions on these kinds of issues, it usually goes like this. If God is omnipotent, in other words, all-powerful, if he is sovereign, it's the term that we would use, if he is uh, omnipotent and disasters like this happen, then he must not be loving. Or, if God is loving and disasters like this happen, then he must not be omnipotent. Or they wouldn't happen. He would stop them from happening. Today that's expressed by, by people in, in as diverse of camps as, uh, for instance, uh, Rabbi Kushner, who wrote, when bad things happen to good people, his view on one end of the spectrum and then those uh, on the other end of the spectrum in terms of Christianity and those claiming to be Christian that would hold to what's called an open theism. Now, where both of these would come together and would agree is they would say, well, here's the answer to that. God is loving. It's not his fault when these kinds of things happen. In fact, he is 
a responder to these things. He deals with them after the fact. Now, for some, they like that. And I will say that uh, in some ways, it at least temporarily gets God off the hook. If you're worried about defending God, for some, they're okay with saying that, that he can't stop evil. He is good, though limited in his power. He's just doing the best that he can. After all, if God could have, he would have stopped it. Some like that. But I want to say right up front, if you give up God's sovereignty at the front end and during a disaster, if you give up that he is omnipotent at those times, then he can't be sovereign after the disaster. He won't be omnipotent after the disaster if you give up on that doctrine. And after all, isn't that why we pray? We pray because we believe that He is all-powerful and He is sovereign and He can do something about this and not just respond in some weakly way after the fact. The whole idea that God is not omnipotent is foreign to the Scripture. Now, here's what we are going to do in one sermon. Here's what I propose we will do. We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation between James verse 1 and 2. And so, obviously, I've got to move quickly. Some of the passages, they're all on your outline, virtually all of them on your outline. Some of them I will not read the entire passage. Some I won't read the passage at all. But I put them there. I'm not trying to hide them. I want you to look at them. But we simply don't have time to read all of them. Let's begin in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then he created the entire cosmos, light, moon, stars, Uh, fish, birds, animals, by speaking them into existence. And at every point in his creation, he declared it as good. At the end of the first day, he declared it is very good. In chapter 2, then he uh, created woman. So you have man and woman. That's good. And then comes chapter 3. And that's where we see them violating God. Up until that point, they were in perfect communion with one another and with God. There was one prohibition, and they chose to violate that. That's what we call the fall. Now, after the fall, man and woman had a curse. We inherited it because Adam was our representative. But what we sometimes forget is that the curse was not only upon uh, them and carrying down to us. That's why Jesus uh, came to uh, deal with that curse, deal with sin. 
But what we sometimes forget is that in terms of creation, the scripture says, cursed is the ground because of you. So we are all affected. We are living in a fallen world. And we need to remember that, by the way. Anytime there is an illness, anytime there is a death, understand, that's a result of the fall. That's why it hurts so much. But understand this, that's not the end of the story. But all of the cosmos is cursed as well. And so when you have a devastating hailstorm, when you have a tornado drop out of the sky, when you have lightning hit, when you have a hurricane or a tsunami, when you have mudslides out in California, anything like that, we should understand that is a result of the fall. Cursed is the ground because of you. When the ground cracks because there's no rain, that's the curse. When the floods rise, that's the curse. Now again, in a few moments, we're going to see that's not the end. For now, let's jump ahead and go to the book of Job. In terms of understanding what is God's role in all of this. We see this conversation between Satan and God, and they are talking about God's servant, Job. Here's the question. How far, how far can Satan go in terms of affliction upon Job? This is important because it shows who's sovereign here. Is it Satan that's sovereign or is it God? We read in Job chapter 1, verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he, that's Job, has, in your, uh, has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So there's no question Satan is involved with this, but what we see is that it's God that sets the parameters. Satan is not sovereign. He is on a leash. He can only go so far, only as far as God permits him to go. When Satan afflicts Job with sores, Job's wife, and let's just say it, she might not have been all that helpful, but here's what she said. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity, curse God, and die? This was what Job responded in chapter 2, verse 10. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And then if you fast forward to uh, uh, at the end of Job, Job 42, verse 11, the writer calls those sores that Job had on him the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. In other words, the Lord brought that upon him. Even though Satan might have worked in afflicting him, God was sovereign in that. The footnote there says the disaster that the Lord brought on him. 
So Job and the writer of the book understood that Satan had a, a role in that tragedy, but Satan wasn't in charge. He couldn't have been. He could only go as far as God would let him. Now Job had a friend, Elihu. And in uh, chapter 37, I'll not read this, but uh, you can, uh, we see Job's friend speaking truthfully, saying to Job, look, you can't take God out of this equation. You can't say that he's not in the storm, because he is. And he was right in that. And then in chapter 38 of Job, I'll read just a little bit of this. Uh, This is the Lord answering. Verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, and it gives a number of the things that he said, uh, but if you skip down to verse 8, here's what the Lord said. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for, for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther. Here shall your proud waves be stayed. Now, okay, if, you're, if, you're, if you didn't read that or didn't have time to think about it, here's what it's saying. When it comes to the sea, God is saying, you know what, I say exactly how far it can go. So if there is a flood, if there is a tsunami, that wave will not go one millimeter farther than God who directs even the waves. We'll see that with Jesus in the New Testament. If you go on to uh, uh, Psalms, and, and by the way, coming out of Job, what we don't see here is a God who is kind of saying, oh, please, gentlemen, please um, defend me down there. We don't see him kind of wringing his hands, saying, oh, I wish I could do something about this. It's such a sad scene. I'll do my best later to bring comfort. But instead, we see God in all of his glory saying, that's right. I'm in charge of this universe. Every iota. That's the glory of God. Then we get to the Psalms, and there's numbers of them that talk about his sovereignty over all of life. And, and that's a big comfort that the psalmist keeps coming back to. We read, for instance, in Psalm 89, verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Again, we see God as the decisive cause of whatever happens to the surging sea and to the waves. Isaiah 45, one of the major prophets. Verse 7, God says this, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does these things. This is not a weak God who stands on the side and watches and hopes that things will go well 
but it is a God who is sovereign. It's not one who needs our protection or our defense. Now, what about Jesus? Again, in various ways, Jesus speaks of the sovereignty of our Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 10, he says this, verse 29. Jesus speaking, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And then here's what he's saying. I hope you grasp what he's saying. You take this tiniest bird, and God is in control. Not even one of them falls without his involvement. He numbers the hairs on your head, but Jesus, with God the Father being that sovereign, that uh, completely omnipotent, he says there's comfort in this. And this is what he says. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. See, he doesn't say, <clears throat> so be intimidated because God does all these strange things because he's, he's a micromanager. He says, no. Take comfort. Because this is my Father's world. He takes care of even those little birds. Don't you know he will take care of you? Now, Jesus addresses a a, a difficult question. And I I already mentioned about um, him with all of the waves. And you, you remember him being in the boat and saying, peace be still once again. You know, if... uh, if he's able to calm the waters, he's also able to make them rage. But over in Luke chapter 13, <clears throat> he deals with what was kind of a naughty problem of the day. Uh, Pilate's people had slaughtered some worshipers. And then this Tower of Siloam, and this must have been something that everybody would have known about. It, you know, it was a, a, a well-known thing because he kind of mentions it matter-of-factly. Uh, falls on 18 people. And so the question is, well, what about those people? Was, was that God's judgment on them? Were they, were they just evil people? Is that why that happened? Let me read to you from Luke 13. <clears throat> it says there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans who'd blood, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, I I, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, here's the point. Here's what he's saying. Some were saying, well, maybe it's because they were so evil that judgment fell upon them. Some have said that about Haiti. Remember, some said that about New Orleans when the hurricane came through. Some are claiming that about Haiti. You know what Jesus says here? He said, look, if you're 
were, if you're thinking maybe they, the tower fell on them because they're worse, you're asking the wrong question. In fact, if you don't repent, if you don't repent, you might all likewise perish. So here's the point for me. You know, some would say, well, why are they perishing down in Haiti? Is it because they were so bad? The real question is this. Why did not the earth open up and swallow Dale Weldon up? Because unless I repent and turn to Christ, I deserve that. I deserve for my house to fall in on me. And that's the question is what Jesus is saying. The real question is why is judgment withheld from us? There aren't any headlines for the thousands and thousands of days when no judgment comes. Now there's a temptation to listen to those who say, this is God's judgment on Haiti, for back in their history, when they were trying to get out from under the French, they sold their souls to Satan and to voodoo. Maybe you've heard that, or some version of that. Is that the reason? Well, one question comes to mind immediately. What about, the, what about those who love the Lord that live there now? The, the thousands of Christians in Haiti who had nothing to do with what happened 200 years ago. So that question comes to mind, but even beyond that, it's arrogant to think that we know the mind of God. Could that be a reason? Well, it could be. But in all likelihood, there are millions of reasons that God has for what he is doing in Haiti. Far beyond what we could comprehend. How arrogant to think we got him figured out. All of judgment, all disasters, I think we could say, is mixed with judgment and mercy everything that happens to us fits that. It's all mingled together because we live in a fallen world. But it goes beyond our knowledge to say with precision why any natural disaster takes place where it does. In fact, Jesus addresses that and we'll not go to John 9, but you can look at that later. That's where the man born blind and, and people are saying, well, is he blind because he sinned or is he blind because his parents sinned? Now, Jesus could have said, well, yes. <laughs> yes, it's both because of the fall and that's where blindness comes from. But he didn't address it that way. He said, no, it's neither. And what he was saying, it's not directly because of his sin. It's not directly because of his parents' sin. But it is this, he said, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Who'd have thought? And yet, that's how God works. And then in Romans 8, 
once again, I want you to read that, but in, in Romans 8, it talks about how, how the whole cosmos has been frustrated because of, of the fallen aspects. But it says this, that there's a new day coming. And that along with our redemption, the world itself is awaiting its redemption. I told you the curse isn't the last word. And so we get to the book of Revelation. Where John says in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem. And then further down in verse 4, he says, For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, this is Jesus, he said, Behold, I am making all things new. You see, that's, that's the end of the story. And then glory beyond that. When we will not, we will not any longer deal with these great disasters in our world or with the personal ones, with death and illness and crying and pain. When we'll see these natural disasters, we, we need to stand back with Paul and with Job and with Moses and as Paul declared, oh, the depths in Romans 11 of Depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we transition toward James chapter 1 verse 2. And I have to tell you, as a pastor now for almost 30 years, not a single week goes by when someone that I am responsible for isn't going through some kind of an earthquake or a tsunami or a hurricane on a personal level. Now, I use those three phrases deliberately. This week, Jackie Allen and John Robertson losing their mothers. Ernie Philpot going to be with the Lord. And now Scott Higby. Sometimes they are earthquakes where your very foundations are shaken. Sometimes it's more like a, a tsunami where there's no warning and we're just overwhelmed completely. And sometimes it's more like a hurricane where we see the warning and you can see it coming towards you and you can prepare in some way, but then it's going to hit and you don't know what that's going to bring. And I will tell you, as a pastor, as a Christian, it's those personal earthquakes that makes me cry. Now, Haiti got real personal because we know those people, many of them. 
down there. But in all this, we can know that God is absolutely sovereign. And I've said it in many different ways. If you give up on God being sovereign before or during the disaster, you do not have a sovereign God after the disaster. And that's our only hope. It's our only hope. And so we ask, where was God in the earthquake on January 12th? Same place he was on January 11th, on January 13th. He was on the throne because the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And he shall reign forever and ever. Not just in the future, but today and tomorrow. So that this world, this universe and our lives are not out of control, but under the sovereign, loving, and merciful hand of God. Let's pray together.